Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Finn McKinnon likes to find solutions to problems. He's a dreamer, an entrepreneur, and a musician. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Finn McKinnon. Finn McKinnon. Finn McKinnon likes to find solutions to problems. He's a dreamer, an entrepreneur, a musician, and co-founder of a new platform called Tune. It brings free education and tech tools to help South African independent musicians manage their copyrights and careers and earn royalties from their music. It's a beautiful collab between music and tech. And Finn's in studio with us today. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. What you're doing here is really important. But first, I want to talk a little bit about you. What brought you to music? Well... In some ways, funnily enough, and I don't know if you remember this, but you, <laughs> way back in school, as a youngster, everyone else had a guitar, so I wanted to be different, and I started playing drums, and then in my first band was your brother, Mark. I think we were 10 years old or something, or 11 years old, and you took us to a show for somewhere out in four ways. It was in the sticks back then, I suppose it's a mall now, but you took us to one of your shows. I think we played, I got a Boo CD, I remember that. What? The only CD my mum would let me listen to in the car. That was an eye-opener to how much fun you can have with music. Wow, I've totally got goosebumps because obviously I remember that you were my brother's friend and I know you guys played in a band. I didn't remember about that. That's amazing. Oh, that fills me with the greatest of joy. It was like a Saturday afternoon. I think Mulder's Drift, that's always, that's where my, my memory has sort of placed it, but it, it could be anywhere north of Joburg. Oh. Amazing. It was probably like Cool Runnings out that side or something. So now this app that you guys have created, let's talk about it. Essentially, it follows the same sort of activist path I've been on for a while, which is trying to sort out the, I wouldn't really call it a mess. There's a lot of misinformation and a lack of information around how copyrights work in the music industry. And that in South Africa has led to a lot of South African artists not even bothering to exploit their copyrights, i.e. not collecting a lot of the royalties that are due to them. And, you know, this is the time where technology can solve a lot of problems that we couldn't solve beforehand. And so it just made sense to take the work that we're trying to do and put it into technology. We've tried, I'd say, two and a half times and failed two and a half times. (laughs) And uh, so this time we, instead of doing it trying to do it ourselves with an external team, we've joint ventured with a tech development company. We've got a lot more resources than we had before, and we're actually able to make the core functionality before going out to the world, before trying to look for funding and stuff. So that sort of puts us in a stronger position, which means it is actually happening now. Wow, that's so exciting, because obviously before this, you had Burning Groove. And what did Burning Groove do? So, well, Burning Groove still exists. Burning Groove is half owner of Tune, along with Fox and Miller, the development agency. Big shout out to them. They're an amazing team. And so we started along the same activist lines that Tune is. We wanted to right some of the wrongs that existed in the local industry. For example, lack of access to physical copies. A streaming sort of takes over. You don't need as many CDs or vinyl, but you still need some as a gig musician. It's your petrol money home or 
pays your bar tab or whatever. Just it also really effective for building fans. Yeah. And so with your, your average factory has a minimum of 300 units. And so we looked at that and we said, well, why is it 300 units? And we looked at the manufacturing process and we turned an etching press, like a big printing machine, into a die cutter yeah. so that we could cut one-off pieces so we could produce 10 albums instead of 300. Really? So try and lower the barriers of entry and rather get artists ordering regularly and still able to make use of the cash flow of physicals and still able to use it for promotions and to build fans and that sort of stuff. So that's sort of been our main business. We run a small distribution network in stores, which we're actually cancelling and we'll relaunch it through the tech platform down the line when we've got technology to support it because it takes all my time and makes no money. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's been really good. We've learned a lot about distribution, a lot about stock control and that sort of stuff. So it's definitely going to be useful down the line. And then we've also done a lot of consulting to help artists register their works and we look over contracts before artists sign them with record labels and help advise them on perhaps negotiation points or or how to get a better deal. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't even know that you did that. That is amazing. And amazing, you. so you're still pressing vinyls? Yes, we're more of a broker. Mm. There's no one actually in Africa and hasn't been since the early 2000s that actually presses vinyl. It all has to be done overseas. So there's a fantastic company that's opened in Reunion Island called Run Run Records. Yeah. We work through them. Okay. Uh, well, they press the records. We deal with the client side. Okay, so that is important information. So all of your information to all of these companies are going to be in our show notes. So we'll talk about that at the end of the interview anyway. But for now, copyrights. Why is it important that musicians know about their copyrights? Okay, so artists have to know, right? If you look at business and you look at the business of music, Mm -hmm. that is all essentially copyright-based and therefore metadata-based. If you think about it, so a piece of data is a piece of information. So if a song is a piece of data, metadata is other bits of data or sets of data that describe to a person about another piece of data. Mm. So the metadata that is associated with a song, which is where your copyrights lie, is sort of the center of the music business. Mm. It's when a song gets played on the radio or gets licensed for a film or used in a shop or whatever, the metadata associated with a song is used to track what song it was. So it's who wrote it, what the ISRC code is, who owns it in what territory, who was involved in making it, how long it is. All of this information allows that song to be identified or that work to be identified. In order for copyrights to be useful, you need to have control over your metadata. The metadata needs to be reliable. So having that information well controlled allows a copyright to generate royalties. So any CMO or anyone using a song, if the copyright is incomplete, there'll be no payment. You, you can't actually pay the right person because you're not sure if it's the right person. So for an artist to make use of their copyrights, they really have to have good metadata. Mm. And that's what we are essentially doing. So we're using quite sophisticated technology to speak to the rest of the world and find out what the registered metadata is, if there's any, and combine it with the metadata provided by the client that then gives us a full picture and gives the client control over their metadata and so that makes the copyright useful yeah and sort of to circle back to your actual question a copyright is your protection of your intellectual property whether it be the song you wrote or the recorded format it's in they technically have two different copyrights or different aspects of copyright that's how you earn that's how you prove 
that you are a functioning artist. And a lot of people might say, oh, well, I don't need to prove I'm an artist to anyone. I'd, I'd agree with that. It's, it's up to you. But if you want to access mechanical royalties from streaming, you've got to register. Yeah. You know, if you, you're collecting your, your recorded royalties directly from your distributor or your record label or whoever, but they're also paying Capasso, the big DSPs. Mm-hmm. So you've got to go get your money there. If you want your money, you've you got to pay attention to copyrights. Amazing. And actually, on a side note, to get money from Samro, you need to be a member. Do you need to be a member of Capasso to get money from Capasso? Correct, yeah. Okay. In South Africa, there are, I mean, around the world too, but in South Africa, we have three separate agencies that collect for the three specific copyrights. So your publishing copyrights consist of performance and mechanical. And on the other side, you've got your neighboring or recording or master rights. And so Sampra does the master rights or the neighboring rights. Capasso does mechanical and Samro does performance. And so to access all those three revenue streams, you have to be a member of all three. I know particularly Samro is very difficult to become a member of. They have, a, I think it's like a four-year process or something yeah. before they onboard you. But in that time, you can still earn money as I think they call it a prospective member. So if you are earning and you have registered and they've actually accepted your registration, you will be able to earn money before you're onboarded as a full member. Okay, amazing. And I mean, in terms of that, so Capasso, not as stringent to get a membership or is it costly or is it a free thing? Yeah, so Capasso is the only agency that charges. It's 100 rand a year, which really isn't bad. They're the only one that charges, but it's also quite easy to become a member of them. Also very easy to become a member of Sampra. Samro is just an old organization. It's been around since the 50s. And a lot of their internal processes haven't updated maybe as much as they could have. I know that they're doing a lot of work at the moment to relook at them. For example, they've put out uh, big applications for a new technology infrastructure on the back end that should make payments a lot quicker. It should make the handling of data and metadata a lot easier as well. So uh, they, are, they are all taking broad steps, but it is still tough at the moment. It is still tough, but it's positive to know that a musician could make money from their music, right? And I suppose isn't that the challenge that kicks most people out of the game? They think, oh, there's no way to make money from this. But there are ways. There are ways. There are ways. So something that might actually spur those who aren't interested to be a little bit more interested is if you don't collect your royalties, they're still generated. So if your song's used on the radio or if, you know, if it's used in any way, it does still generate the money, but if you don't go collect it, it goes into a fund called Undock. This Undock account, it has a whole bunch of money goes in every year and a whole bunch of money goes out every year. And each portion of money that goes in sits there for three years. After three years, it's paid out on proportion to the CMO's members from the highest earners first. So Sony, Universal, all those guys are getting your royalties. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need more royalties. <laughs> so if you aren't collecting, you're basically just paying them. So even if it's just to, you know, fight for the independence rights, you should probably go collect Absolutely. your minimal royalties. And, you know, they do add up. So if you've never collected, you'll have three years worth of collections waiting for you at each agency. So it's worth going to register. And it is a bit of a headache at the moment and a lot of admin, but that's what we're trying to sort out. 100%. So this is so exciting. But you've got three years to backdate only, or is it less than that? It's three years you can backdate, yeah. I know there are some cases where 
artists have registered and they've tried to claim for three years and then it takes two years to get the registration process done and then they're only paid for the previous three. And in some cases, artists have been successful in courts then claiming for the three years from when they applied, but it's not always the case and I think you have to have a pretty good lawyer to do that. So the sooner the better. But also, if you haven't been collecting, I think we should be grateful that there's that three-year period. Can't expect them to just hold money forever, not doing anything, especially part of the point of the Undock Fund is really to give your time to sort out your metadata. So the Undock Fund is made for money that they don't know who to pay to. So if the metadata doesn't exist, i.e. someone hasn't registered, it'll go in there. But also if there's a conflict on the metadata, so maybe two parties claim to own the same portion of the song, um, stuff like that, then that it needs to go into the Undock while that is sorted out and then it can be paid over. Okay, fantastic. Let's talk about RISA for a second. What is RISA? What does RISA do? So RISA is a trade association. Yeah. If you think about the music industry in terms of the songwriting and the publishing world and the recording side of the industry, they technically are different. I, in fact, refer to them as different industries. They work together a lot, but they use completely different structures worldwide to move royalties around and share information and all that. And all of the societies are split RISA is a trade association on the recording side, the Recording Institute of South Africa. And so they protect the interests of the recording industry. So that would be record labels as opposed to publishers. They have an organization on the side called RAV, RISA Audiovisual, that collects music video money from TVs and jukebox and that sort of stuff. They kind of play an overseeing role in the recording industry. They also run the SAMAs and do a lot of reporting and research into the industry. In South Africa, they also administer ISRC codes, which are a crucial piece of metadata to identifying recordings. So I think ISRCs are the most common piece of metadata that people have heard about. Your distributor will provide you with one if you don't have one, that sort of stuff. But RISA is a way to get your own unique prefix to an ISRC code, and then you can generate your own from there on out, which is quite useful. Wonderful. Especially when controlling your metadata, when trying to keep a track on what song is what ISRC code and stuff, you can then generate it yourself and know that it won't change from that point if you've got a nicely locked spreadsheet. Nice. Double backed up. So many a decade ago, maybe now, I had released a video for one of our tracks, Sweet Weather, and then we got such good play. MK89 put it on their charts and it charted for ages. It was, it was brilliant. And some years after that, I got a spreadsheet from my publisher, with how much was owing from that video, which is really nice and really exciting. But at the time, I wasn't a member of RISA, and so I could not access that money. Become a member of all these things. It's so important. So RISA, actually, as an individual, you couldn't be a member for a very long time. It was an organization set up by major labels and big independent labels, and it was to protect their interests. It makes a lot of sense in any industry to organize like that. In fact, I think artists should be doing that exact thing. We should be organizing and trying to get all of our objectives lined in the same direction. But a few years ago, they did open it up to individuals and independent sort of organizations to become members. So yes, it's worth becoming a member of all of these organizations. Uh, Capasa is the only one that charges, but you're likely to make more than 100 grand a year if you are in any way a streamed artist, at least, you know, and they collect from a lot of other sources other than just streaming as well. Oh, it is incredibly exciting. So now let's talk about covers because that is one of the best ways for public to become familiar with an artist in a comfortable way because people like what they know. 
So you make covers, you put them out there, people hear them, and hopefully they're interested enough to start to investigate you and listen to your original music, which is the goal. So now, what kind of copyright do you need if you want to release a cover? Okay, so a cover, you need essentially a mechanical license, also through Capasso. And essentially, it's part of the publishing royalty. So as I mentioned earlier, there's two aspects of copyright in any musical work. There's the intellectual property that goes into the songs. That's the notes arranged in a certain order, the words and all that sort of stuff. Then there's the recording side. So when you record that intellectual property, you then essentially make a separate copyright for that recorded version. When you do a cover, you need to acquire a license from the original songwriter. So say you want to do a Van Morrison song, you're going to go to Capasso. So a lot of artists, if they're working under a standard agreement with your mechanical licensing agency like Capasso, they will allow their music to be licensed out for covers without having to go all the way back to them. Mm -hmm. So you can go to Capasso and you pay a rate. It depends how you distribute it. So you record the song and then you say, I'm going to put it on streaming and I'm going to make some CDs and I'm going to do whatever else with it. And they then calculate a rate that you pay and you then sign a transactional license and you pay the transactional license fee and that allows you then to use that recording. So essentially what that process is doing is making sure that the songwriter is getting paid. So the money you pay to Capasso, it then packages up and sends to Ireland, assuming Van Morrison is with the Irish Collection Agency, and he will then get paid from there or his label or whoever owns the intellectual property of the song. Okay. It is a bit of a stickler because it is lovely just to record a cover, put it out on YouTube, not monetize it, just have it out there. But these platforms are getting smarter and smarter and they look at beat pattern recognition and they have AI that listens to what you're saying and figures out what words you're using and they do eventually find out it's a cover and pull it down. So if you have that transactional license, you're able to prove that you have the right to use that song. And now what if you, for example, DistroKid, so you're distributing your music online via DistroKid, they give you the option to click a button that said, this is a cover, and then they pay, it's an annual fee of $12.99, and they take care of that. If you get that, do you still need a Capasso license? If you're not going to press a CD? That's an interesting point. I don't actually know. I would assume that they are then fulfilling that role. Yeah. Yeah. I think for streaming, that would be the case because essentially what they're doing there is rerouting the publishing aspect of any rights that comes in from a play and sending it directly to whoever wrote the cover as opposed to you through Capasso. Totally. And I would assume then that if you wanted to press a copy, you'd have to go then through Capasso. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's important to know. And actually, interestingly enough, I used to have a publisher. And so for any music that I pressed prior to now, I still had to get permission and pay the rights to Capasso to record my own songs. Because they own a third of your intellectual property exactly. of the song you wrote. Exactly. Yeah. So you then making the recording is out of their business. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to understand the broader structure of the industry before signing a deal like yes. this. It's not that these deals aren't lucrative or helpful. Often, if you're working with a good team, it's fantastic to work with publishers or labels that are doing good work for you and helping get your music out there. And they should earn for that work. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't all go to you because you're the artist, you know. But what's fairly yours should go to you. And so understanding what constraints would come in when signing a deal is very important. 
Totally. And you can help people understand that. Yes, that's our goal. Yeah. And you know, we're not alone in this. There's a couple of really good homies out there doing great stuff. There's a guy called Skill Music SA. His name's Anga. He's based in Ireland. He does a lot of vlogging on CMOs and rights. There's a guy called Tando Mkize, who's just launched Agape Love Consultancy, which is specifically to look at contracts and to advise people before signing you know, how best to go about it. He's also just started vlogging and, and making free education stuff. So, you know, there are people out there that are trying to sort this out. It's not just us, which is cool. That is super cool. So there are people that have your back as an indie musician. Exactly. So now, obviously with COVID, people are not doing live shows. Now, normally with a live show, you could do your gig, submit your live performance, return to Samro, and Samro would pay out a little bit for your, the songs that you were doing. So now not doing that, let's say you're streaming, you're doing live streams. Is there anywhere that you can get returns for that? Or totally. If anything, a bit better off because when you do a live stream, you're essentially creating a new recording. So under your old publishing deal, you might have found that there was a clause that said if you're going to go on telly or you're going to do a stream or something like that, you actually need their permission oh, wow. because you are using your copyright to create a new recording. Wow. Okay. And it's audio and visual, yeah. as opposed to just going to the studio and recording audio. So that piece of content is essentially its own copyright, its own masterwork. And that then gets treated in the same way that any studio recording would or any uh, recording of a live performance. It's its own copyright. So there are still a lot of avenues to be earning your rights, even having lost sort of the, the gig sheet live performance royalty side of things. I mean, that is so exciting. But do you submit that to anyone or should the metadata be picked up? Or how does that work? So, yeah, you'd need to register those works. Okay. You'd then have to make an agreement with whoever's producing the show, whoever's, whoever's creating the stream, as to who owns what elements and what splits of these new works that are being created. I know for my band personally, our standard performance agreement states that we own any recorded works off the bat. And if we are going to do some recording, we always sit with the producer and just say, look, are you happy with this clause? We can share it with you. We can give you a license to use it on your platforms or whatever. But essentially, just making sure that we still own the work that we're making. Not to guard it, but just to protect ourselves. You know, if it blows up and we have, then have no earning potential off it, that would be a bummer. Totally. So, I mean, platforms like Facebook and Instagram have their own terms and conditions that it's important to read those because I think in some of them they say that they own that content that's created. So I suppose, what are the platforms that you get to choose what to do with your things if you're going to do a live stream? As far as I understand, for example, the Facebook terms and services, they own it when it's on their platform. Mm. So they aren't able to take it off that platform and broadcast it on another platform. Mm. So Facebook owns all information that's on its platform. Yeah. It's part of the business model. I mean, if you're putting it on Facebook, that's fine. It's only ever going to be on Facebook. And yes, Facebook technically owns it, but whatever. So YouTube's a great platform. You now no longer need a thousand subscribers to broadcast live. You can, you can just set up an account. I think it takes 24 hours to activate a live account and then you can start streaming. And so that then allows you to keep control of your content. I'm actually not sure if, if YouTube owns everything that's on its platform. But again, it would be the same sort of stipulation that it can only use it on YouTube if it wanted to. Mm. It doesn't really have that practice in its model. So it's, there would be no need for them to exploit you. Also, they're doing, they pay really badly, but they've got really incredible music recognition software that they're developing. Obviously, as a subsidiary of Google, yeah. they've got some of the dopest tech. Amazing. But then now, let's say you've done your recording. Who do you register that with your live stream? 
The intellectual property, the song will already be registered with Capasso and Zamro. The publishing rights would already be registered because the song's already been written yeah. and, and registered, presumably. So that new recording is then registered with Sampra. You then go and you say, well, here's the new recording. And depends how you put it out. Capasso collects a lot of stuff from the internet. So it might be wise to register with Capasso as well as a new recording that they should look out for in other cases. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, it is so exciting. There are so many avenues, but there's so much information. It's like information overload. That actually brings us nicely to what we've started the company with, which is education. Yeah. And we're doing free-to-use education, fed up with the fact that only some people get access in South Africa to a lot of things that should be basic rights. And so when it comes to our education content, it's got to be free to artists forever. Some things, when we're putting it in a, in a really nice a back-end packaged format that will allow you to learn from basic to advanced on certain topics. And so that will be behind a login wall, but the login is free still. And 99% of the content will be on direct-to-consumer channels like YouTube as well. But dare I say it, I might, I might annoy a few people, but I think the state of copyrights in South Africa has now become the artist's fault. In the 80s or 90s, you could blame it on record labels or, or gatekeepers or whatever. In the mid-2000s, maybe it was about 50-50 because artists still hadn't done much about it. But by now, I think the ball is firmly in our court. We've got to educate ourselves. We've got to take control over our rights. We've got to take control over our industry. And we've got to make sure that we get paid because, as we've seen, no one else is going to do it for us. 100%. So it all starts with education for me. Amazing. And so now, how can people access that information? Last year, we released a study guide. We've got the second version coming out towards the end of Feb. And we released some explainer videos with some nice animations. And we did a couple of masterclasses. So if you go on tune.app, you'll find the whole lot there under Knowledge Hub. And within the next few months, we'll start to structure that into the back end and open up some forums and some discussion spaces as well around that content. Amazing. Tune.app. It's T-J-O-O-N. Tune.app. Aptly means to inform or to make aware of. It's a tricky industry, music, and competitive. And so many people keep throwing in the towel because it doesn't feel lucrative enough. <laughs> That's hard. What keeps you in the game? I think it's the only thing I can do at this point. When I was younger, I desperately wanted to be a professional skateboarder, but I wasn't brave enough to jump down big things <laughs> after a while. And music was always this thing that was there and it gives me a sense of freedom and it makes me feel alive. And I think, yeah, being able to work in that space. Uh, when I was at university, my second year or third year, I started a company called Bobian and we did parties, as many parties for the underground music scene as we could. It was hip hop, rock and roll, a lot of rock and roll, but a folk music. And we did some mini festivals. We ran a, like a DIY venue in the Pretoria CBD and like the exposure to that life, it hooked me. And I, I, just from then on out, it was the only way to go. Wonderful. And also, I firmly believe that. I think coming out of COVID, we are going to have a huge boom in the effectiveness of the industry, the quality of work that's coming out, the interest from the public. I'd like, I just think that those who are still in the industry are trying super hard and are getting it right. And so that's exciting. And also the, the business of music is is like totally open. There's rules and there's certain laws and stuff, but how you apply those laws to your career or your business is almost as creative as the music itself. There's no rules saying how you should promote or how you shouldn't or anything like that. And so using your, your creativeness that you make music with in the business aspect is often where you find 
what I would call successful artists. I wouldn't say someone who's got a lot of streams is necessarily successful. I'd say someone who's able to sustain themselves for a career in music, that's success for me, the ability to keep making music. And I think a lot of those artists are generally ones that pay a little bit of attention to their business aspect and apply the same creativity that they do in their music. Amazing. I'm not even going to ask you for advice for musicians because I think that that is an incredible piece of advice. Cool, thanks. Just quickly first, what's your band called? Caution Boy. We're a three-piece punk band. It's actually started, there's a, a cat called Andy Kappa who's played in many of Pretoria's most vicious punk bands. And he started Caution Boy as a side project and he released more than a song a week for a year when he was getting over breakup. So that left the band with like six albums. <laughs> and I called him every week he released something. I was like, please can I play in your band? And he was like, there's no band. And I was like, please make a band then. Please can I play in your band? Eventually he started the band and called me. He was like, hey, you want to be in a band? <laughs> I just moved to Joburg from Pretoria. And I was like, hmm, commuting for, yes, yes, I want to be in your band. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's, that's a lot of fun as well. That's like therapy, it's being able to go once a week with your buddies, bang out some tunes. Amazing. We can anyone hear your stuff? Oh, on all the streaming platforms. Bandcamp's a great place. We like to push Bandcamp. Just I like that business model. It's direct to artist revenue. And yeah, we've got a new album out and a video and a single. That's exciting. That is the best news. I'm so glad you're also making the music still yourself. Oh, I've got to. In fact, I think maybe come back to your question of why do I do it? Maybe I work in the music industry just so I can play in a band and justify it. <laughs> I love it. Now, is there a song that you wish that you'd written? Mm. You know, I'm not much of a songwriter. I think as a drummer, I do a lot of arrangements. Once there's an idea or once there's something going, that's sort of when I thrive. But no, not specifically a song that I, I wish I'd written. Your favorite song of all time? <sighs> Impossible. Impossible. It changes by the hour, by the day. Wonderful. <laughs> Almost whatever I listen to, that's probably my favorite for then, that moment. And then. Fabulous. Okay, social media links for people to find out more about everything we've spoken about. Caution Boy, at Caution Boy 669, I think, is our handle on, on socials. Tune is tune.app or tune app on all the socials. Burning Groove is Burning Groove or Burning Groove Music on all the socials. And I wouldn't recommend following me. I'm not very interested. In <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to, it's Archie Kinnan. Wonderful. And I don't use Twitter because I can't stand Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't like any socials. I'm lucky. I've got some team members that don't mind socials, but I find it overwhelming. Yeah. Good for information, good for connecting with people, but the whole interaction thing kind of overwhelms me before I begin. So now, if you're an indie artist... I think it is in your own best interest to find out this information. And this is a really good free resource. Go do it. Go do it. Go do it today. And also, please give us feedback. If you think something's rubbish, we'd love to know. <laughs> uh, I mean, we like good feedback too, but negative feedback is often more constructive on the back end. So if you, if you have ideas or even if you'd like to collaborate, that's another big thing is we need to get a lot more creators involved, especially on the education side. There's no way that our opinion or our view on things is the gospel and should be followed. We do have a few collaborations that we'll be announcing in the next little while. But if you are a musician that's interested in teaching, we are looking at traditional lessons like instrument lessons, but more the business behind music is our focus for the time being. And so if you have 
information or a suggestion for how we should disseminate information, please get in touch. The South African industry is far too small to compete with each other. Yeah. That's the old school mentality as far as I'm concerned. We've got to collaborate. We've got to work together. We've got to share responsibility. We've got to do it ourselves. Absolutely. And I think it's the same in any aspect of life. Lift each other up instead of bringing each other down. When one goes up, we all go up. 100%. Yes. Yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. If you are an indie artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on Instagram at Shotgun Toy. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.